So what I'm going to do is that we're going to actually move through some of the questions in the questions of the, uh, and the answer here. But we're going to do it through the lens of Job. And so I'm going to, at times, read from Scripture, uh, and then we're going to talk about it and consider it and uh, really think about the story of Job. The story of Job is actually uh, the beginning of wisdom literature or the poetry section of the Word of God. In one sense, it is the story of Genesis in the Bible, but for wisdom. And it's an appropriate story because Job is really a story that cries out in pain. It's a story of, of God's people crying out in pain, not being comfortable. And yet here we have a Heidelberg Catechism that says, what is my only comfort in life and in death? And the beauty of the story of Job is that in one sense, it shows the tools of Satan in this world in order to hurt us, in order to hinder us, in order um, the, the, the devices that he can use as the one that uh, the epistle to John says um, has a power and authority over the world, who rules over the world in one sense in the, in the period of time of history that we currently reign in. We see all these tools and devices of Satan and Job, and yet for the faithful individual, we see the sharpening that happens to those who are found in God. And so I want to begin by reading two passages that have us consider Satan's seeking to attack Job's comfort. And if you want to follow along with, with me, Job is found in page 491, and just periodically uh, we are going to turn through it. So first I read from Job chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? and his house, and all he has on every side. You have blessed the worship of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Also, reading from Job chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. One of the dilemmas of a pastor is that, in general, people want to be comfortable. People want to come into the church and hear a word of comfort, and yet, in the things that often make us comfortable, uh, here we have the catechism that says our only comfort in life and in death, our only, our basically our pinnacle comfort, uh, comfort the comfort above all, above all other comforts that 
in all those other things that, that can be good things that we see as comforts, that they pale in comparison to the comfort we receive in God. And to really see kind of the dilemma of Job, I want to illustrate it this way. Here we are in a church, and we are in a room filled with people that can defend their home from an intruder. And the worry of defending your home against an intruder is that you have to get the drop on them. You have to be ready for them. Job is a story in one sense of a father who the intruder enters in and the intruder wants to attack. And the father gets the drop on the one who breaks in. And instead of dispatching, instead of just casting this one away, the father, in a sense, says, my child's upstairs. Do not kill them, but you can go up. You can hurt them. You can take away the things they love. You can brutalize them. You can do all these things, but you cannot take their life. And when we look at Job in this way, I think it shows us the dilemma of the book, because that setting is an awful setting. That question is an awful question. And yet, here is a book where Satan is just saying, Job loves you in one sense because you have blessed him with creatures of comfort. And God says, go ahead, remove them, attack him. Do not take his life, but go ahead, lay him there. Lay him there. And so you can see how this book helps show us the issue, what is our only comfort in life and in death? You know, we live in a world where this official state religion, and it is the official state religion, because if we sent our uh, children to public schools, they would receive the indoctrination of this. It is of Darwinism. It is a, a Darwinism that ultimately, when you boil it down, when you reduce it down to its very parts, its core issue, is a meaningless life with no value. Because ultimately, every comfort of this mortal world is fleeting. It can be taken away from us. It can be stolen away. And that's why we have these intense moments of suffering, you'll have people who are being teachers in the state religion, and they'll say, see, this is why I don't waste my time with God. See, this is why those religious nuts are just absolute loons, because of this problem of evil, and yet here is Job, and here is God, and he has the ability to vanquish 
this one who would threaten Job and all his comforts. And he allows Job to struggle with loss. I've used this illustration before in action of um, the mother has spoken here in Old Gajanam, the Amish shooter. Amish community, what was that? how long ago was it? I forget how long. But it, the Amish community had a, a, a school shoot. About five, I believe, little girls shot dead. And again, the, the state religion of Darwinism, the state religion of uh, not being able to give you any comfort. There's no rhyme or reason to life. They have no comfort, but the Amish were people who understood the comfort of God. And so within hours, not only had the Amish community rallied around those who lost children, but the Amish community rallied around the shooter's family. Because they understood the idea of suffering and the idea of the work of God and the comfort that we have in God. That God is the only comfort. And that even the shooter's mother needed the comfort of God. And so as we move through Job, we can see Job struggling through great suffering. We read in Job 3.1, after this Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth. We read in Job 16.2, as he comments on his friends trying to comfort him, he says, I, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. And we read in Job 19, 13 through 14, He has put my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. When we say God is our only comfort in life and in death, that we're not our own, that we belong body and soul in life and death to Him, what we are declaring is the fact that in all other things we try to find comfort in, there's no real ultimate comfort. You talk about the love that the Amish had in that moment of loss where you talk about what Job is looking for here and you contrast the, the varieties of ways that we try to find comfort. So like, I try to find comfort in food. So if like Amish self, if I was being unbiblical, if I wasn't following the Heidelberg Catechism, I, I you know, go to Shady Maple or something. Can Shady Maple give me comfort in great pain? No, can't. So us try to find comforts and entertainments in, in the newest movie, the newest show, the upcoming movie, the upcoming show. Shopping. Fine. 
relationships. And here Job is saying how these relationships, when he's at ultimate grief, with these mortal relationships, cannot be the idol that comforts pets, memories, accomplishments, physical comfort, comforts, travel, and more unhealthy avenues of escape. What do we try to find comfort in? What are the things that give us peace? This is the idea that the Heidelberg Catechism is getting into. It's the question it wants us to ask. And the beautiful thing about the story of Job is that he begins uh, in this lament, in this sorrow, to follow a pattern that's going to be picked up in the Psalms and picked up in the later wisdom books. Because Job, Job, if I had to guess, is roughly the time of Ishmael when he lived. And he writes, for instance, in Job 19, 25, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. Basically, when he's, his life is laid to bear, the only thing he can find confidence in as everything is stripped away is that his Redeemer lives and will stand upon the earth. And he also says in Job 23, 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Now, it's, there's a little bit of an irony of, of Job saying that in his life he's going to come out as gold. Actually, even reformers such as uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Richard Baxter, often looked at how Job wrestled with his lament, and they saw him more as a weak illustration of faith at times, uh, kind of a cautionary tale of how not to lament. And yet, here is Job, and Job has a great deep confidence in the Lord, and in his lament, he follows the pattern of biblical lament. And... There's a beautiful reality to it. He's actually expressing in this moment that basically through his suffering, a greater redeemer will come forward. A greater redeemer shall be on the earth. And a re greater redeemer will set the, right, the wrongs right. And so instead of a cautionary tale, Job is actually looking forward to the comfort that God would provide. He's no longer actually in this moment looking at the comforts that he has lost, but the comfort that is to come. And my wife lately has been talking about her funeral. I don't know why she's been so obsessed about her funeral. <coughs> But she's very clear. She wants you all to know. She wants the book of Hebrews preached. She wants that passage where Jesus is the full and final offering for our sin. And she wants it because we broke Catholic family members. And she wants them to hear about the ultimate comfort that you receive with Christ. The thing is, I think she's going to outlive me. So um, I'm not going to be able to preach that. But the reality is that this, when we experience pain, when we experience hardship, when we even think about pain and hardship, the beauty 
is when we put those things in God's hand and we think, how might you use these things, God? We also see in the story of Job a little of what the confession talks about with the hair not being able to fall from our head. How God is sovereign over all of Job's suffering. We read, for instance, in Job 42, 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job is teaching us, and what the confession is teaching us is that sorrows, our sorrows become pathways for knowing God. And graves become gateways to see the glory of our King. And so, my wife, and even her funeral in one sense, that is why she's looking at that is, is even death itself is a lucky day because we get restoration with God. I think of the Apostle Paul often in a moment that he must have reflected on quite a bit in his life, and that was the execution of Stephen and being a part of the martyrdom of Stephen. And it, I had to, I think, at times I even wonder if it was a part of the thorn in the flesh. I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily saying I take that view. But how hard that would have been. And then yet, the beautiful thing, not just the angelic moment where Stephen's face looks like that of an angel, but the beautiful story of redemption. That God weaved through the Apostle Paul, this Hitler-like figure in one sense, who wanted to kill the church, and through Stephen's suffering death, we learn a truth that Paul would later write about in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I wonder if he thought about Stephen as he wrote that, that, that neither death nor life angels or rulers, things present or things to come, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God. And so why is there so much pain in this life? The story of Job is not a story where God gives us all the answers. God actually, in the story of Job, never technically makes clear that he audibly answers Job. He never gets Job his moment he longed for, which is a, a moment where uh, he wanted to debate God. And yet it doesn't matter for Job, because Job becomes aware of his sin, He realizes that he no longer needs to be angry with God. We read in Job 40, verse 4, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. We also read in Job 42, verse 6, Therefore I despise myself and repent in gush and ashes. 
Job repents for being angry with God. Job repents because as God removed other comforts in order that Job might have a greater faith and love of God, it took Job a while to realize it and to, to take his comfort and to find a greater comfort in the Lord his God. Not getting a moment in order to, to shout down God or to, to be put God on trial, but his repentance is realizing that he still had God. That's all he needed. And then we talk about, let's quickly talk about God restoring, delivering Job and restoring his blessings. We read in Job 42.10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And after this, Job had lived 140 years. And he saw his sons. And his son's sons. Four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Job 42.16-17. There was something in the illustration at the beginning that I didn't accurately get. And I kind of did it intentionally. It's the fact that really the story of Job is a story where the intruder was allowed to kill seven children of Job. And yet there's amazing hope found here at the end of the story of Job. The end of the story of Job talks about how everything is doubled. And if you look at the livestock, if you look at kind of the material possessions, yes, it doubled from, you know, I forget the numbers, but it's like from 500 sheep or goats or something to a thousand. Everything doubles. Except for one group. Job has seven more children. And yet the word of God declares that everything doubled. And the reason why everything doubled is that Job's comforter, the great I am, did not take away the life of the children. The children were actually secure. He was given seven more children, but his other seven children lived, and so he was given double the children through the trials, through the struggle. And the reason why he was given an even greater inheritance is because the father had another child. And that was the child that was allowed to bear the sufferings. That was the, the, the child who was allowed to receive the nails and have the, horn, uh, the thorns placed upon his head. And even as that child was being put to death, he forgave his crucifiers. He pleaded for their mercy. He pleaded for their forgiveness. He pleaded for their restoration, their comfort, their peace, their satisfaction. And when we understand that kind of comfort, we can be in one sense like those Amish individuals were on that 
fateful day where they lost their own children because they knew the death of the child that gave us hope of restoration for all those who have faith. And so, what is your only comfort in life and in death? It's that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So we consider Job, I just want to close. I want to look at, just read out loud a couple of the proof texts that if you're not aware, never looked up in the uh, catechism. Well, the proof text, especially for the first question and answer. Mainly, I'm going to read the ones from 7, 8, and the first one from 9. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. That's from Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Now Luke 21, 16 through 18. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a head, hair of your head will perish. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And lastly, Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Our Redeemer lives. Our Redeemer was allowed to die. He was allowed to suffer. And it wasn't even just the wrath of Satan that allowed that to happen, but the wrath of the Father that was meant for you and I was poured out upon him on the cross. And it was done so, so that when he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you and I can know peace and comfort in life and in death. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, as we considered uh, the first question and answer and the second question and answer by the Catechism, uh, we thank you that you offer a radically different idea of comfort than the one we often bring to this world and to this life. We often think if things are going well in life, then that's all we need. And yet, here we've seen the fact that the most important thing is that we are faithful to you. Whether we have times of great abundance or times of want and lament. So help us to find greater comfort in you by forsaking the things that we worship instead of you. That we put in your place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.